Jiminy Crickets, it's Home and Garden Radio Podcast number 20. How did that happen? Anyway, this is the one where we talk about the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener and all kinds of other stuff. So stick with us. Enjoy. Oh, by the way, Home and Garden Radio Podcast is the recorded version of our live show that airs Saturday morning on the BizTalk Radio Network. Do not turn that radio dial. Stop it. Stop it. It's time for the Home and Garden Show. Your host, Michael Kroos. There's guaranteed laughs. Zaniness. Is that even a word? Who cares? Anyway, fun in the sun. And of course, discussions and vital information on all things botanical. That means plants. And if you have insects getting into your things and on your nerves, they're toast. Yeah! Michael will get your heads, your flowers, your grass in tip-top shape. You're all worthless and weak. Now drop and give me 20. You listen for your pleasure, no? So, got Got your your swim swim trunks trunks on? on? Good. Let's jump right in. The call-in number from coast to coast across the nation. Um, I could tell you, but Michael Cross will tell you it's part of his job. Now, without further ado, that smooth, suave, debonair, home and garden kind of guy, Michael Cross. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's help. I have bugs.com. Help. I have bugs.com. And welcome to this edition of Home and Garden Radio. My name is Michael Kroos. And today, in this segment, we have a very special guest. And if you go to my website, homeandgardenradio.com, you're going to find a link to their website and their really ultra cool videos. I'm talking today uh, with Joey uh, Baird and Holly Baird. Hello. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank you. I got it right, didn't I? Yes, you did. And they're, they are the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com. Is, well, that's their website. And they, I found them, they found me on Twitter. And then I did a little exploring and I found your YouTube site. And I started watching these incredible instructional videos on gardening. And I've got to tell you guys, they're incredible. They're great. Thank you. Uh, that means a lot. Thank you very much. That, that's our intent to make it simple that anybody, gardener or non-gardener, can follow follow the directions and follow what we do and be successful at growing some of what they eat. I, I was watching your harvesting potatoes. Uh, I mean, all of them are very good. And then I was watching one that you made, Holly, on canning and yes. and uh, how to make the the pot, the canning pot, and putting the the lids in there and wiring them together. I mean, you know, it is you, you make it all seem so easy, and it's just really, really good. Well, and that's that's the intent, and, and Holly, she does most of the canning aspects of it. She's an award-winning state fair canner, and then uh, we both share the gardening uh, aspect of uh, of the whole, whole uh, video series. Now, you've been doing this for four years on on the YouTube and with the website. Let me ask you, if I can, what what inspired you to start this? Well, we had started with a Facebook page, just Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners, because there wasn't really one for the area. And we would get questions from people where we could give them, you know, different links and stuff to, to their answer. But we, you know, we were trying to looking for something more 
tangible, I guess, or more visual. And I just happened to win this camera from where I had worked at the time. And I said, let's make some gardening videos. And that's what we decided to do. And boy, did you make gardening videos because it looks <laughs> like Channel 13 came out and sent a crew and made them. Or PBS sent a crew out and made them. They are so professional. And, and the photography is so good. And the way that, I mean, you know, the editing is absolutely marvelous. I'm going to show Zach, who is my video editor, uh, not that I make any video. But when I do, he edits it. Zach's an excellent video editor. I've got to show him your videos because he just, you know, he'll be totally impressed like I am. Well, thank you. And that was our intent. People are busy. People have busy lives. And when when they take the opportunity to view our video, we don't want to have a bunch of nonsense. And, you know, you two people can put whatever they want. But in our, uh, uh, in our operation, we want it to be worthwhile watching that you're not wasting time. You're learning something and you can apply it to everyday life in your garden or in your kitchen. And that seems to make sense, and you guys do such a good job. Now, I want to talk to you about organic gardening versus chemical gardening. What are your thoughts? Do you use chemical fertilizers? We do not. We don't use any chemicals in our garden. And the main reason is is because we feel that um, the food industry does enough you know, damage putting chemicals in our food. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're going to take the time to garden, to grow your own food, then why would you add chemicals to it when you can have good organic produce? Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. Now, do you ever grow tomatoes? Yes, we grow a ton of tomatoes. And how do you grow tomatoes organically and make them taste good? We um, just you gotta you gotta have good soil. So we add we start with good soil. We have um, the leaf compost. Then we also add what's called manure tea, which mm -hmm. is not. It's a soil conditioner and it doesn't stink or anything like that. It comes from cows that are organic cows. They're not fed any antibiotics or anything horrible. They're fed um, non-GMO crops. And so we start with the soil conditioner. So we give, you know, we have that in our soil. Then we have a couple different tricks. We add rock phosphate at the time of planting. Before we plant, we put Epsom salt in the soil. And when we're, after we're done planting, we sprinkle around whole grain cornmeal. And this helps fight off disease. It helps fortify the soil. It helps fortify the plant. And what are you using to get the calcium content up in the soil? Because tomatoes really require a lot of calcium. That's what we use the Epsom salt for. The Epsom salt yeah. to do that, to get that up. It yeah. helps. It helps encourage the plant to bring up nutrients out of the soil. Yeah, Epsom salt is a, a magnesium sulfate, so it's not calcium, but... It, it revitalizes the soil and helps the plant take up the necessary nutrients to perform properly and produce the fruit that you and I both enjoy eating. That's true. And your tomatoes taste, like, really good? Oh, yeah. My sister, we were actually at the beach today, and she was eating some, and she said, she said these are just really sweet tomatoes. And I said, yeah, they, they're very tasty. That's, a, that's awesome. And I see you guys do this around your house. How many square feet do you have around the house that is now set up as, as part of your garden? Uh, the front yard garden we have is about two is 200 square feet. Uh, the large garden at Holly's mother's backyard is 1,700 square feet. Holly's sister's backyard is about 150 square feet. Uh, so you, you uh, can do the math there. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are sharecroppers. Yeah, we uh, put in a garden for my sister and her family, and she tends it. We just plant it for her, and you know, help her take it down in the fall, and. You know, she kind of deals with, if she's got problems, we help her out with that. But she kind of does all the weeding, all that good stuff. Okay, I have to tell you, one of the other videos that I watched that I really liked 
was where you were talking about the pole beans and your instruction on how to make the, you know, set that up. That was very impressive. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's the thing with a lot of people who are in an urban setting. Obviously, you don't have acreages to, to grow produce. Right. So a lot of crops, there are varieties that are capable of growing up strings or cages or fences. And that's what we utilize a lot is that those vining crops to maximize the space to grow up when you can't grow out anymore. And I noticed your container gardening. I was very impressed with with some of your container gardenings, especially some now. Are you wicking water through the soil on some of these containers that, that I saw? Yeah, we definitely are. We do that so that, you know, the water, the plant can water itself. And we like to show the different diversity for people that maybe don't have a backyard they can dig up or they can grow things in the containers. How long is your season in Wisconsin? About five months. Yeah, we usually, if we're fortunate enough, we're in the garden about the 1st of April, and uh, depending on how late the, the cold is, in the, we've picked tomatoes the second week of November, and we've also been shut down the third week in October. Sure. It varies. Well, global warming might be your friend. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, well, that's that's pretty impressive. Five months is is pretty impressive for where you are for the zone that you guys are in. So I I just absolutely thrilled to have found you. Now you guys have a two minute segment, and you sent me one. Am I allowed to play that for the audience uh, a little later on in the show? And mm-hmm. and and can I play it one every week if you're like producing them? It would yeah. be such an honor to do that. Yeah, that's great. We would. Love for you to do that. If you send me one every week, I promise you I will slap it up because the information in that two-minute segment is just jam-packed, and it's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So that is cool. Well, I want to thank you guys so very much you know, for being with us, and uh, it has been incredible. You're the, the website is called the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com. Is that correct? Yes. It, and, and, and it's not just for Wisconsin gardeners. It's for gardeners worldwide who want to learn how to grow health-conscious organic gardening. Well, you see, that's something I noticed. You call yourselves the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardening, but a lot of that works nationwide or, or like you say, worldwide. The information didn't seem to be centered around Wisconsin. It was just a lot of good common sense, a lot of really good practices, uh, you know, I being the nerdy gardener that I am, I would absolutely love sometime just to visit your compost pile. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I live in Florida where I had a compost pile going here. It was, uh, you know, real easy to get compost going. But since you only got five months there, you have to work a little harder. It it, work, it breaks down over the winter, too. Yeah. Uh, we do uh, build up and use all the leaves that are available in our yard to start composting in the fall and then continue that into the spring and summer. Excellent. Hey, thank you guys for being on the show. And I will play in the next segment, I will play your two-minute segment, and we'll have you on every week. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, thank you. you. gardening question well this is the home and garden show now back to michael i have to tell you having that couple on just brightened up my day uh it really really did joy and holly baird the wisconsinvegetablegardener.com and as promised, every week in the second segment of this show, 
we're going to play their two-minute gardening segment. So without further ado, here it is. This is Gardening in Two Minutes. Potatoes are a fun crop to grow whether you're growing them in traditional ground garden, containers, or raised beds. Whether you're about to harvest, have already harvested, or have not planted, and in thinking about planting them for the next growing season in your area, these tips, tricks, and techniques will make your adventure in potato growing a little easier. It would be good to know what kind of potatoes you want to grow before you decide to grow them. So if you want a variety for baking versus maybe frying or just cooking with butter, you want to make sure you know what variety you want. If you're unsure, you can always visit a local grocery store of the organic variety or your local farmer's market to get more information or do some research about the type of potatoes you want to grow. Growing potatoes is determined by the region you live in, whether you're in the southern parts of the United States, northern, southern hemisphere, or northern hemisphere. Potatoes are a cooler weather crop and based on the time that time of cool weather happens in your area, that's when you need to plant them. There are many varieties of potatoes that you could potentially plant in traditional raised uh, garden, raised bed, or containers. They take between 50 and 150 days to reach maturity, and there are some tools you can use to extract those potatoes from the ground. You would want to use a garden fork, not a pitchfork, but a flat tine garden fork. This will help prevent the slicing of potatoes less. So when you're digging your potatoes, you're not gonna slice them as easy it may still happen, but the likeliness is lower, and also it allows you to sift through the dirt easier to see the potatoes. If you do not have a garden fork, it may be something you should invest in for this application as well as other gardening projects. Your hands are the best tool, but a shovel will work as well. For more information on potatoes and potato harvesting, our weekly video productions as well as our free downloadable digital quarterly magazine, you can find all that information at thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. For Gardening in Two Minutes, I'm Joy Baird. And I'm Holly Baird. Well, that's the first segment that you're ever going to hear, but not the last. Every week, we're going to have them back on. Joey and Holly Baird, the Wisconsin Vegetable Farmers, Gardeners, I'm sorry, the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners. Uh, link to their website on our website homeandgardenradio.com very refreshing to see what they're doing and i had a talk with them before we went on the air we didn't talk about what i was going to ask them or anything but we did talk about how they're technically producing their videos and i have to tell you i've been around this stuff for a while i've been around a lot of television production been around a lot of audio production and what they're doing with so little looks so good i mean i'm telling you their videos look like something that came you know that was produced by pbs and they have talent when it comes to appearing on video now i'm not talking about their technical talent as far as what they know about the gardening thing i'm talking about their visual talent for looking into the camera uh, for glancing away. I mean, these are little nuances that people take years to develop or it take years to have them taught to them and they pick it up naturally. 
they're really, really good at this. And you know something? I would just absolutely love to see them uh, on a national television situation sometime because I, I think what they do is really good and I think it's quite magical. And it takes a lot to impress me. It really takes a lot to impress me. And now I'm one of their biggest fans, just truly one of their biggest fans. So I will always defer to them and I hope they come on the show again sometime. They're going to be on two two minutes every week, but I hope that we can have them back on sometime soon uh, to talk about other things because they're just awesome. They're just absolutely awesome. Anyway, uh, getting back to other stuff, uh, how's your week gone? In Florida, where I live, in West Central Florida, where I live, we are having what can only be described as, and the meteorologists are describing it, is the hottest week on record in a long time. This is the hottest week of the summer so far. And what are we? We're in, you know, the end of August. We're on the 20th of August today. And it is just intently hot. It is just miserable. And let me tell you the fun thing that happened to me this week. The air conditioner in my SUV uh, stopped working. Well, the air conditioner itself didn't stop working. The blower fan stopped working. And me being the bootstrap guy that I am, I've got a guy that works on my car for me. His name is Bob. And I called Bob. He says, oh, yeah, you just need a new fan. It's not a big deal. Easy to put in underneath the dash. I said, cool. He said, I'll call the auto parts store. I said, cool. He calls the auto parts store. $158 for the fan. I said, that's too much. And he says, I know. He said, you know, let's look around. And so then we called the junkyard to see what would be one there. Guess how much they wanted. The cheapest one we found was like 98 bucks. I said, oh, I went onto that internet thing and I typed in my make, my model of the car and the blower, you know, what the part was. Bingo. I paid, including shipping, $50.93. That's the good news. The bad news is they were supposed to ship it on Monday they didn't ship it until yesterday, and um, they were going to ship it from the closest warehouse to me, and I see on the tracking that it shipped from California. So driving with in Florida with no air conditioning on the hottest week of the summer has been just one of these most wonderful things that have happened. In a long time. So I am so eagerly awaiting that fan to show up. I don't even think I'm going to wait for Bob. I'm just going to climb underneath the dashboard and see if I can figure out how to do it myself because I got to tell you, it is hot. It is steaming hot. And we're not getting a lot of rain right now, which is one of the things I noticed when yesterday I went out to mow the grass. And actually, I mowed the front yard the day before, and, but it was just so hot I couldn't do the backyard. And my backyard usually grows a lot and it has just been so hot and we have not had the rain that it's not growing much. I mean, it was growing, I've got seed head, so I had to mow, you know, you had to get out there and you had to mow, but it just wasn't growing all that much compared to a couple of weeks ago when we were getting a lot of rain and I'm out there pushing the mower and pushing the mower, but, uh, you know, not so much this time. Tell you what, we'll take a quick break. We will continue right here on Home and Garden Radio on the BizTalk Radio Network. 
And now, back to your home and garden guru, Michael Cross. So, golly gee, let's talk about bees, shall we? I mean, you know, let's talk about bees. Bees are a wonderful thing, unless, of course, you know, when you're 17 years old and driving your motorcycle uh, along the Dunedin Beach Causeway and you don't have your shirt on because you're coming from the beach and a bee flies into your chest and right there at your stomach and stings you. Happened to me a long time ago. Long, 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 long time ago. Then bees aren't so nice. Bees are also not so nice when they infest parts of your house and take up residence and, you know, make nuisances of themselves. But there's a lot of environmentally very friendly solutions to that. One of which, and I remember, I remember this very well back in the 70s when I first got into horticulture. If you could call the Cooperative Extension Service, if you had that happen, and a gentleman that I worked for had this actually, uh, Mr. Craig, who is an old North Carolina gardener, had this actually happen in his carport. And they had gone into his carport and gotten inside the wall between his, you know, the house and the carport. And they were embedded in there by the thousands. And I went out and looked at it with him. And uh, I said, well, are, aren't we going to spray him? This is 1973. He goes, oh, no. He says, you never spray bees, he tells me as I'm the, learning the young, impressionable guy. And I said, well, what do you do? He says, oh, we call down. And Gil Witten, who is the Cooperative Extension Service Director, the county agent, um, he says, Gil will get us somebody to come out and get him. So he gets right on the telephone. And, uh, we, you know, we go into his house. He gets on the telephone, calls down to the Extension Service. And they had the names of three different guys, beekeepers, who would come out, and back in those days, they would do it for free. Well, they would do it because they wanted the bees. And, it, you know, they would, like, fight over it almost. So, yeah, you'd get a beekeeper. And sure enough, out comes this beekeeper. And they they said, oh, we can be there in an hour. And, I mean, you know, I said, I want to watch this. So we just sat in back and watched. And I, here's what I was amazed. The beekeeper comes out. And he's got this little smoke device thing that shoots out a little smoke that kind of makes him a little bit docile. And he goes in, he tells Mr. Craig, he says, I'm going to have to remove some of this soffit here. And Mr. Craig says, do what you got to do. He said, okay. So he removes the soffit. And the bees are, I figured he's going to be wearing one of these bee suits. He's not wearing anything. He's just up there, you know, with his regular clothes on. Bees flying all around. And he's removing the soffit, making all kinds of noise. The bees are flying around like crazy. But he goes up there and he sees them all up there. And they've got honey up there like you wouldn't believe. And it was just something. And I'll never forget, he had a wooden box. And uh, he got up there and he says to, uh, to Mr. Craig, he says, could you get your young man there, meaning me, to hold this box while I scrape everything off. And I'm saying, I'm not going in there to hold that box. He goes, I guarantee you, you won't get bit. If you get bit, I'll give you $10. $10 in 1973 was a lot of money. I said, okay. And besides that, you know, I really didn't want to disappoint Mr. Craig because he was teaching me everything. So I go over there and I hold up this box. And then I'm sitting there thinking to myself, oh, this is a goof. They're just doing this to get me bit. But they weren't. 
I sat up there and the bees were swirling all around me. And while I was nervous, I was, you know, like really cool. And once in a while, he'd puff out a little bit of smoke in this thing and they'd calm down a little bit. But he scraped all of the honey and everything. And he says, oh, I got the queen into this box. And by the way, the box started getting very heavy as he's filling this up. By the time he was done, it was really heavy. And as a matter of fact, Mr. Craig came over and helped me hold it. It got to be so heavy. And then he came down off the ladder and we took the box over and set it down. And we carried it over to the back of his pickup truck. And he put a top on it. You know, there was all kinds of holes in it where the bees could come and go pretty much, which I thought was interesting. And he said, I'm taking this beehive back to my place and going to add it to mine. And uh, the bees all followed him from the house over to the truck. And he says to Mr. Craig, he says, you know, you need to clean that all up and you need to spray this all with some Clorox, mix Clorox, 1% Clorox with water and, you know, scrub all the rest of that stuff out of there. And, uh, you know, otherwise you'll get mold and all kinds of things and you can put soffit back. So I, w- I sat there and watched this. Bees are flying over to this guy's truck. Now they're all hanging out in the back of his truck and he drives away and the bees are following right behind him. And I go, wow, that's incredible. I saw that repeated many, many, many times throughout the career. Well, nowadays, it's hard to get a beekeeper to come out and do that. They want to get paid for it and they want to get paid a lot of money. One of the companies I recommend is a company over in Tampa called Insect IQ, and it's run by a graduate master degree entomologist, and he kind of specializes in that. But, you know, you're going to pay this guy four or 500 bucks to remove bees, you know, a beehive from your house and take it away. So life isn't nothing like it used to be, but uh, it is something. Now, where we live in Florida, we have regular honeybees that are there and they must be protected but then there is something called africanized bees and the way that you tell the difference between africanized bees and regular honeybees is that the africanized bees will come after you with a vengeance so if i go out about a month ago i was out and i found a beehive and it was inside what was a bee nest that was embedded in this wall at this house. And they were Africanized because the guy told me, he says, you go near them, they come flying at you like crazy and they will sting you like there's no tomorrow. Well, I once again suggested that he call this company, Insect IQ, and they came out and he says, yeah, we have to kill them. We have to kill them. They don't make good honey and we really don't want those bees in the United States. You know, they're really, really, really bad news. And uh, we want them gone. And uh, I said, okay. So they went in there and they used insecticide. And I watched this also. But I watched it from quite a distance. And they wore bee suits. I mean, big time bee suits. And they went in there and had to pull part of the wall out. And uh, they sprayed all of the, and I don't know what they used. As a matter of fact, I did ask, and he says, oh, it's a trade secret. We won't tell you. And I said, okay, that's fine. And, but I watched, and those bees, there was like a bazillion dead bees when it was all over, and then they had to go scrape the, the honey, and it was just, it was a mess. And I could tell a difference from the honey that was coming out of there, just the way it was set up. You know, you could tell a difference 
it wasn't, you know, it, it just didn't look as nice as your traditional bees. But they pulled them out of there and uh, cleaned the whole mess up. And the, the people paid, I think, about five or $600 for this little trick. So bees have changed. Well, as you know, we have had people on the show before who think that the bee population in America is crashing and dying. We had the beekeepers on. You can go on the website on Home and Garden Radio and find the interview with these people. And I was listening just yesterday to another lady who was suggested that I have her on the show, and I just decided against it. But I, I listened to an interview that she had done with someone else. And uh, everybody is all up in arms about these neonicotinoid insecticides that are floating around out there. And everybody's saying, well, not everybody, but the activists are saying that the neonicotinoids are destroying the bee populations in the United States. And neonicotinoid, neonicotinoid insecticides, by the way, are a rather interesting class of insecticides because what they do or what the big difference is between neonicotinoids and the other insecticides that are on the market now and have been on the market in the past is the insects essentially do not know that they are there. They don't know that they are coming in contact with this type of insecticide. Whereas if it was a pyrethroid insecticide or an organophosphate or any of the other types of, of pesticides, the insect knows that they're there. They understand and know that, you know, that is a problem. So they avoid the areas. Well, with the neonics, they don't know it's there. That's one interesting thing. And by the way, the neonics don't kill instantly. The insects, and we're talking about social insects here, such as bees, such as ants, such as roaches, uh, such as fleas, such as termites, come in contact with these insecticides. And when we come back, I'll tell you what happens next. So stick with it. And now, back to your home and garden guru, Michael Kroos. Continuing here on Home and Garden Radio, and we were talking about the bees, and we were talking about the fact that a lot of activists are very concerned about a class of insecticide called neonicotinoids that they say are crashing the bee colonies. And they get, uh, you know, they get really radical about this. They really do. And... You know, I can't say as though I totally disagree with them because as I was starting to tell you and when we ran out of time in the last segment is that insects come in contact with these neonicotinoids. They don't know that they're coming in contact with it. They're not affected right away. As a matter of fact, sometimes it takes several days for them to become affected, but they are infected. They're not affected, but they're infected. They get the, the you know, the neonicotinoid, they get the insecticide all over them. And the type of insects that we're talking about, such as bees, such as termites, such as roaches, uh, are very social insects, ants, especially termites. And they tend to touch one another. They're real touchy-feely kind of, 
of bugs. So when they go back to their colonies, uh, you know, they tend to rub up against other of their of their kind. And when that happens, that other insect becomes infected. And when that insect rubs up against another insect, that insect becomes infected. And so it goes in geometric progression. And the next thing you know, the colony is dead. Now, why is that a good thing? Well, it is a good thing once in a while. Here's when it's a good thing. Say you're having your house treated for termites, and they're going to use one of the many neonicotinoid termiticides that are out there. Now, I have no problem with this because they are injecting this insecticide, this neonicotinoid insecticide, down into the soil below ground level where the termites live. The termites crawl through it, and they don't know that they're crawling through it, and they go back to the colony and infest the entire colony, and then the colony dies. Well, another time, when I don't seem to have a problem with it, and many people don't have a problem with it, is when your cat or your dog has a terrible flea problem, and you're going to use Advantage or Frontline, uh, you know, one of those spot treatments. Advantage has a neonicotinoid called imidacloropid. It's manufactured by Bayer. And uh, Frontline has an active ingredient called Fipronil. And, you know, a couple of fleas come in contact with, you know, parts of these products, and they go and very quickly infect the other fleas that are doing blood meals on your pet. And the next thing you know, in not very long a period of time, you have crashed the entire nest of fleas that are on your pet. And your pet is no longer suffering, no longer scratching, no longer, you know, susceptible to disease and all kinds of things like that. So it's a good thing. Another situation where it might be a good idea is if you have, for instance, a bad infestation of carpenter ants in your home. Carpenter ants are only in your home, this is something to, to know, as a result of wet or rotting wood in your home. When we find carpenter ants that have infected a house, they have infected a house because of wet or rotting wood that is either in the attic or in the plumbing area where there was a water leak or or there could be a bunch of dead wood next to the house that they've bundled up for firewood and it is rotted down at the ground which is very bad because it also would attract termites but the carpenter ants will go there and eat the wet and rotting wood they will clean out the wet and rotting wood so in a situation like that if you have a area where you had a roof leak in the house, in the attic, for instance, and uh, you had a lot of wet and rotting wood up there or in the plumbing area, if you injected a neonicotinoid into the wood area, you know, where they, the ants are everywhere, the same thing will happen to them. You will crash that colony of carpenter ants. Well, here's where it gets a little dicey, Okay. You got fire ants out in the yard and you want to control the fire ants. Well, there was a product that was out for a long time. I used to talk about it on the radio called Over and Out. 
over the letter N out. That product is still available, but it no longer contains a neonicotinoid. But it used to contain the neonicotinoid called fipronil. And what you did is you took one of those little hand spreaders. Heck, I did it on my yard. I'm confessing. Okay? As a matter of fact, I recommended it. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. I'm admitting it. I'm fessing up now. Maybe I shouldn't have recommended it. But it was so effective because you put this down and the fire ants or any of the ants that were around your property came in contact with it. And they didn't die right away, but they went back to their nest and they, you know, basically crashed the entire fire ant nest. Well, you know, that's wonderful. Except when you were doing this, you were also subjecting all of the other insects in your lawn environment to a non-repellent neonicotinoid insecticide, which could possibly destroy beneficial insects, such as bees. One of the reasons I'm sure that that product is gone. Okay, although their Bayer has another product that is only for professionals to use, and um, it is called Top Choice. And it has fipronil in it. But you have to pay a professional a lot of money and they come out. And it's essentially the exact same thing as the over and out used to be. But instead of paying $19 a bag, you're going to pay a pest control or a lawn care company three or $400 to come out and put this on your yard. It's very expensive. I don't know what the difference is. Um, no difference at all, but the same situation. It's going to eliminate the fire ants and you know make them be gone and then they're gone. But once again, you're infecting a large section of, you know, the environment to a neonicotinoid that could adversely affect beneficial insects, such as bees. You know, it's a long topic and I'm running out of time, but let me tell you the good news. The good news is, is that the bee populations are on the mend right now the bees are coming back stronger and better than ever and they haven't totally eliminated all the neonicotinoids we're going to explore this some more maybe next week we'll talk about this a bit more but for right now we're out of time thank you for listening to home and garden radio i'm michael Kroos. have a super day